Welcome to the Nebraska Soybean Board Weekly Market Roundup, being brought to you by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff. I'm Susan Littlefield. I think the markets, as well as all of us, are happy to see a Friday come about as it was a very interesting trade. Not a lot of excitement, but still a lot of volatility within the trade. We're going to talk about demand that's out there, especially when it comes to our soybeans and our soybean meal. What does this mean to the folks in the South? Is there something maybe they're not sharing with us about their full crop production? We'll take a look at the happenings of this cash cattle mark, along with a Friday WASDE report, and no surprise, and to hear from the feds. Lots coming up on today's report. It may be small, but this little bean fuels a lot of power. It powers a food industry as a top source of protein. It's a fuel that powers diesel engines with fewer emissions. It powers a state economy and bottom lines, and it powers the rest of the world as a top Nebraska export. Yeah, it may be small, but we're finding more ways for this little bean to power Nebraska. Well, welcome back. As you can see, joining me, we've got Kyle Bumstead with Alan Dale and Sam Hudson with Corn Belt Marketing. And gentlemen, always an interesting week when we wrap it up with a with a Friday WASDE report and really not a lot of excitement. I want to get both of yours kind of thoughts on what you saw in those numbers. So, uh, Kyle, we'll start with you. What are your thoughts on what we saw? Really a whole bag of nothing here when it really boils down to it. We didn't get anything really to trip up the algos to see any volatile swings here to the upside or the downside. Uh, you know, they keep tweaking the export demand down just a little bit, which was kind of to be expected. But corn did manage to close higher here for the day. So that does look good. We are still kind of working off that reversal from the charts we had here from Wednesday. Soybeans closed lower after a 50 cent rally. We attracted the buyers. Now we might have to back up and try to find them again. So not really a lot to talk about as far as uh, as far as anything's report today. I think most computers and, and algos and people are kind of waiting here for this January crop report here. And then that might set the tone for a little bit. Sam, what do you think? And I know everybody kind of has that same sentiment that this just was kind of a December here and gone. Yeah, I think this was just one to more or less put behind us that, you know, we got the 75 million bushel cut in export demand on corn. Could potentially see more of that as we go into January and February. But uh, you know, once again, I think the trade is generally looking for it when you're behind 13 percent on sales and well behind on inspections here uh you know and i think we're going to stay that way to start the year so uh, I, what i'm really looking at is, is looking forward to the january report my concern is moving forward looking at ethanol margins and the continued you know fact that we're going to have low river systems here I, I think you know speaks to you know the risk of having two demand legs kind of faltering as we go into the spring and you know i think that lends the potential for some more demand cuts at a time where uh, we could get some supply cuts coming out of South America. That's going to be your next big thing. Uh, you know, otherwise, winter doldrums here, we're going to be adrift and you know, potentially uh, seeing some influence from the outside markets as well. Well, river influence isn't as heavy for us on the Western Corn Belt as it is for your guys on the Eastern Corn Belt. Is there some concerns and nervousness for you guys? There is. I mean, we've seen cash basis really back up here since uh, the onset of harvest. I mean, inversions were made to come out and we've seen that happen. We've actually got a little bit of carry out to March and April and some of our uh, you know, river bids right now. And, and they're only going to drop so far uh, because we're continuing to see a bit of a battle to get corn to the West. Uh, you know, mentioned the processor margins here have kind of been on the defensive and they may remain that way into the first year. That's helped push, uh, you know, supplies into the cattle feeders hands finally. And so they're able to build a little, you know, a few reserves out in Kansas and, and Texas ahead of next year until they see, you know, when it's going to rain, how much and what that's going to mean for first cutting next year. I have never seen in all the years of doing this, how much emphasis has been put on, will we get some rain or snow over the winter to help bring us into some sort of moisture? I mean, I like to see a surplus, but at this point, anything is going to help. 
Yeah, that's right. And, and, and really, it's, it's quite dry, even as you get, uh, you know, further east to, to the central Corn Belt, even where we are, we kind of finished the production season on fumes, and we're gonna be looking for something uh, in, in the spring as well. Uh, if anything, though, the, the dry falls given us uh, an opportunity to get a lot of anhydrous ammonia on in preparation for next year's corn acres. Definitely. And Kyle, you, you view it firsthand as you look out your back door, um, where you're at in the panhandle of Nebraska. Yeah, that's right. And we're extremely dry here in central Nebraska. Now, um, we've gotten a little bit of moisture here. We did get a little bit of moisture out of this, uh, this deal last night, but we are, we are very, very dry here. And we're not to the point where we can uh, start retaining a lot of heifers here for the herd. So until we start to see this moisture cycle break, then, uh, we're probably still going to see some heifers placed and some cows slaughtered here. So that uh, we're, we're still seeing a firm basis, firm basis out here in the Western Corn Belt as far as corn goes uh, and on the plains as far as, you know, feeding cattle and things like that. But uh, that basis is a little bit concerning uh, looking at some ethanol plants and some local cooperatives. So that is something that should definitely be on producers radar here as they've got some corn to move here on the first of the year. Now, some of this uh, basis break might have been because the uh, end users got some procurement done because there was a threat of a rail strike, which didn't happen. It might happen. Who knows what the next headline is going to be. But I think that the end users some uh, procurement done in the fear of uh, rail shutdown. So they may be bought up here for a little bit, at least until we get to the first of the year and kind of see what's coming to town after that. We definitely saw the box beef jumping all around this week. Yes, yes, we did. We uh, we saw some uh, $8 cuts and we saw some $6 gains from uh, midday to uh, the evening report. So that's uh, definitely been a roller coaster as far as the uh, product side on the box beef side of things. And uh, when it all boils down to it, I think it's how much money the consumer has to spend. And everywhere you look, we're talking about inflation and uh, consumer spending and things like that. And the more and more articles that I'm reading and seeing and talking to folks, they're kind of dipping into retirement and you're noticing credit card debt kind of rising. Of course, it is the holidays. And that brings us to the next question here is what will the consumer be willing to spend on uh, cuts of beef after the first of the year? Once we get that mid-January time frame and we start to get some of those credit card bills piling up in the mailbox from Christmas. Well, then the, comes the question, will there be that uh, January white sale that we always see in the stores? Will it happen across those meat counters as well? That is true. That is something we're probably, you know, probably have to look forward to. We probably will see some meat on sale if we can't move it. All right. I wanted to ask both of you to talk about these economic indicators. You talk about it from a consumer perspective. What's going to happen if these proteins don't move? I mean, we can only back so much up into these cold storages. Well, that's right. And then if we start backing up in cold storage, we're obviously going to start backing it up out in the yard, too. So, you know, that's definitely something worth considering, too. If these cattle got some money in them, then it might be time to take them. So I, I know a lot of people are, uh, you know, locking the gates and that's what it is. And if you can get more money, I'm, I'm all for it. But, uh, you know, there comes a point in time when that animal has to go. So if we start backing it up in the coolers, we might start backing it up out here uh, in the feed yard side of things. We've already heard of, uh, you know, potentially starting to slow some of these kills down with this packer margin uh, in the negative, as they like to call it. So um, we could start to see some 30-hour processing weeks and, uh, you know, kind of slowing down a little bit. Of course, we always slow down for the holidays anyway, but um, historically, some of your uh, your best cash trade in December is the week after Christmas before New Year's. So keep that in mind, too. Let's push a lot of proteins. I don't care if it's lamb, pork, or, or beef. Let's get some good stuff moving. Sam, for you, economic indicators. Um, you and I were all talking before this all started that we've got a big Fed meeting again next week, and that's going to add to the just what Kyle just talked about with the consumer side of it. Yeah, and I would agree with what he said. You know, especially given the timing. You know, it is holidays. People are going to you know spend. Uh, you know, whatever fumes they have here, if, if they're going to spend it at all. And I think as you get into the first and second quarter next year, that's really going to be the proof. You know, expansion becomes contraction in markets, the same thing with herd sizes, and you're kind of at a race 
Uh, so you, you get some microcosm of this whole thing, a race between herd contraction and demand destruction. Uh, and, and it's really it's similar across a lot of uh, a lot of fronts here when you think about commodities in general. Uh, adding the adding what I think is going to really fuel the volatility to that is this weather market in South America and how it influences all that. But in the meantime, I think a lot of interest on, on China. You know, how how quickly are they going to open? Is this more of a PR campaign or boot, you know, or actually rubber hitting the road in terms of uh, providing fuel for the world economics in general? All right, you talk about South America. Is it as dry as they're saying, or is this just one of those headlines that's catching our market's attention? Well, it, it's gonna—it's starting to become a, a slow burn, you know, pun intended, I guess, for for parts of Argentina. Some of the rains uh, coming in uh, that were expected coming into the end of this week are a little bit disappointing on the maps. And if that comes true in some of these rain chances that are forecast as we get around the Christmas holiday, then you'll finally potentially have your first reason to add risk premium. Uh, you know, the meal market has been flying here of late. I think part of that is due to some of the weather, you know, fears we have down there. But I think uh, even bigger part of it is just the way the meal oil share is really unwound after EPA's uh, RVO target announcements last week. I think you caught some people short. Uh, and maybe need to come back down to earth and, and kind of see a mean reversion in both of those markets. In the meantime, the soy complex is going to remain somewhat underpinned. We had USDA confirm relatively tight stock to usage ratio. We're current on demand in terms of sales and shipments. And so any, uh, any meaningful weather changes are going to be felt in that market here over the next 30 to 45 days. And Kyle, you talked about that demand there as well when it comes to this bean and meal. That's going to have an effect on our livestock producers, especially poultry and hogs. Well, yeah, I mean, bean meal is uh, you know, one of the primary ingredients for uh, poultry and hogs. So, I mean, uh, th there has been some procurement. And if we've already got some on the ground, maybe it's time to, uh, if we've had to buy up here, it might be a good thing for some producers to uh, get some protection to the downside as far as what they've got locked up for, you know, for cash needs. Because historically, meal over four to 430 a ton is very, very high price bean meal. And we're seeing, you know, I mean, it's just outrageous what it's done. So if you're having to lock it up here in the cash market at these prices, it may be, you know, formidable to get some downside protection just in case we see that blow off top type of move. And going back with what Sam said about, you know, the meal and oil share and balancing that out there. I also think there's some uh, balancing done being done here by the non-commercials, by the funds here towards the end of the year. If we've noticed here uh, the last week or so, corn has been underpinned and beans have rallied. And then I'm not saying that spread is unwound, but there might be some corn bean spread unwinding going uh, going into the end of the year here with uh, these non-commercials carrying uh, the positions that they have. They're not carrying a huge long position, but they're carrying enough to where it could still hurt if, if they start to liquidate again. All right, we got less than 60 seconds. 30 seconds, Kyle, tell me what the one thing you're going to be watching heading towards the new year. Heading into the new year, I'm going to be watching the live cattle spreads and the feeder cattle spreads, how we react here going through the next couple of weeks, what the Packers kind of seeing out there the first quarter. If we uh, see them step in here and start bear spreading this market again, then I'm going to be a little bit more concerned, be a little bit more apt on trying to get some sort of downside protection like some puts. I don't know if I'm going to be marginally short if this cattle shortage really is upon us here, second quarter, third quarter, then it might be just some cheap puts underneath this thing, just so we have a floor locked in a case of a black swan issue. All right, Sam, for you. I'm going to be watching volatility in general and specifically how that relates to the options here over the next 45 to 60 days. I think you could see enough for both uh, you know, the bulls and the bears and enough of a changing market here uh, and swings in volatility to provide some opportunities for both end users and producers, especially as we start looking forward towards setting a base price in February for the new crop contracts. You know, with inputs risen, rising the way they have, uh, there comes a time where you just got to pull the trigger on getting more hedge coverage on just in case. All right. Well, gentlemen, thank you for joining us this week. Thanks. Thank you.
Joining us, of course, Kyle Bumstead and Sam Hudson. As we always remind you, commodity futures and options do involve a substantial risk of loss, not suitable to all investors. And that's been this week's Nebraska Soybean Board Weekly Market Roundup, brought to you by Barking Dogs and the Nebraska Soybean Board, right here on the Rural Radio Network. <laughs>